0: to the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host JR and we are here to talk about everything that went on in week four of the Big Ten this season. It was a crazy week of college football and even crazier in the Big Ten. We had comebacks. We had tearjerkers. We had a a game-ending touchdown with one second left. There was a roller coaster of emotions, and I have with me today two guys from the We Live for Saturdays podcast, and I'm so excited to have them break it down with me. Mike, you want to go and tell people about the show and where they can find you on social?
1: Yeah, the show is We Live for Saturday. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Podcast Addict. And on Twitter you can find us at we live for b1g sat. That's we live for b1g
2: sat.
0: Excellent, very good. And uh John, you want to tell people where they can find you out on social?
2: Yeah, uh also um I'm at Norwegian Gopher, uh and also connected to we live for big sat or we live for Saturday.
0: Very good, awesome. So I've got two Minnesota fans with me today. Normally we kind of have, uh, you know, kind of a mixture of fans, but I figured today let's just go with some Minnesota fans to break it all down. Um, we uh, we won't talk about the Minnesota game first. We'll uh, we'll ease into it before we get to that for you guys. I know uh, that you probably got a lot of thoughts on that one, but we will go ahead and we'll get started with the Ohio State and Notre Dame game. Oh, before we do that, I do apologize. I want to make sure you know uh, we are brought to you by Big Banter Sports. Big Banter Sports is a Big Ten media company. We have a podcast for every sports team in football. We're working on basketball right now, but go ahead and check them out, BigBanterSports.com or you can find Big Banter Sports on social media. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe. Offer a rating to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, those different kinds of mediums, and we have shows out every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We would appreciate it if you would go there and listen as well. All right, so, like I said, Ohio State stuns Notre Dame at the very end of the game. It was kind of, I mean, Ohio State was favored, but I say stunned because at the end of the game, literally one second left on the clock, Chip Traynham runs it into the touchdown. Ohio State had struggled all game with these short yardage situations, and Chip Traynham barely gets it. Uh, Kyle McCord threw for 21 for 37s, 240 yards, no touchdown no picks. Technically, there was a sack because it was intentional grounding, but you know, in reality, no sacks. Uh, JT tui their defensive end, he had six tackles, a half tackle for loss, and one pass deflection. Uh, it was just a crazy, crazy game. John, let's go to you first. What were your thoughts, and we'll get to the Ryan Day stuff, but just on the game in general, what were your thoughts on the game?
2: Well, when we talked about it last week, it was basically my thoughts were going to be that this was going to be a defensive battle, which it turned out to be. Um, you know, both offenses are incredible, both have the ability to score a lot of points. Um, but <clears throat> you know, these two elite defenses really kept things in check in that regard. And so <clears throat> I felt like on it's what I was really impressed by was was the the ability to stop such a a smart and intelligent QB from Ohio State, or uh, on Ohio State's defense, their their ability to stop Sam Hartman, keep him as limited as they did. Um, and same thing with uh, Audric Estime. I mean, that is a hard man to to uh, you know limit any kind of yardage from. I mean, he's he's just a beast on the ground. And so <clears throat> overall, I I was just very impressed. It was back and forth for a little while. You know, Ohio State looked like they had it in control in the beginning, but then started to kind of let go of, um, there in the third, and then obviously in the fourth quarter, seeing what Kyle McCord is truly capable of doing. I mean, coming in a ver- coming back in in a really clutch situation. You know, this new QB that you know I know a lot of Ohio State fans had a little had a lot of questions about. Um, you know, he really came through, and he looked pretty good to me, man for
1: sure mike what were your thoughts on the game oh i mean i i agree with everything john said although i did not predict it to be a defensive battle i thought there were gonna be more points scored i really thought that both quarterbacks as good as they are and as prolific as both teams are that we were going to see um more of that kind of battle but we did not and i keep coming back to the end of the game and the fact that notre dame only had 10 players on the field for the final two plays from the Irish one-yard line. And the first was an incomplete in the end zone to Marvin Harrison Jr. But then, you know, on you talked about Chip Trainham's decisive run that sent, you know, that, that won the game for the Buckeyes. And Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame's coach, said he recognized his error on the last play, but wanted to avoid a penalty because he didn't have any timeouts that would have moved the ball a half yard closer to the goal line. So instead of Going from the half yard line, he thought it was that important to go from the one yard line that he decided to play ten against eleven. And that blows my mind. And he did it for two plays in a row. What kind of decision making is that? I mean, these coaches are do a great job and mostly most of the time, but that that blew my mind to end the game like that. So that's that's what's standing out to me. And then also Ryan Day wanting to take shots at Lou Holtz. That was, I think, <laughs> hilarious. We'll get to that in
0: just a second. I I feel like there's two parts of this game. I feel like there is the actual game and then there is like this mantra, this idea of the Ohio State team and Ryan Day that he decided to play this game of after the game. So, you know, I feel like we have to separate the two a little bit and talk about them that way. But but I completely agree with both of you guys. And I'm glad you brought up the 10 players on the field, Mike. I I get what Marcus Freeman is saying, you know, like, oh, we don't we don't want to get a penalty and bring him a half, you know, half yard or whatever closer. It's like, dude, it's it's not that much at the end of the no. day. One player is that much. A half a yard is not that because if you look at it, uh, he they were actually missing the right defensive end exactly where Chip Traynham was running. And so they ran right there. I don't know if, if you're Concord missing a gap. Exactly. You can't, you
1: can't be missing a gap exactly That's basic football
0: exactly and so i'm sitting there like are you okay so you're gonna risk a gap you're gonna risk a man on the line just for a half a yard like it doesn't make any sense to me uh now i love marcus freeman i think marcus freeman is gonna be a really good coach and i think notre dame fans you know should definitely not harp on him too much because i do think he's bringing this uh program in the right direction but Man, that that part in the game, I just thought to myself, you have got to be kidding me. You have to realize that a full player to be able to make a play on your defense is so much more valuable, so much more valuable than half a yard. And it was unfortunate for the Fighting Irish, but hey, here at the Big Ten for the Ohio State Buckeyes, it was fortunate for us because at the end of the day, we got to see the Ohio State Buckeyes pull off an amazing, amazing play that really, that really was astounding, but we can't go away from bringing up that Ryan Day decided to kick that field goal, like, are you kidding me? Why are you kicking the field goal? They block that thing, they take it back, it's tie game, and you're going into overtime, just and they weren't going to get a field goal just down the snap ball. the ball exactly just snap the ball it. kneel it you know spike it whatever you got to do don't give them any possibility of getting that ball and run even if he fumbles the snap you know like yeah. just fall on it or one of them are going to have to fall on it they can't pick it up and run if
1: all those linemen are there so yeah. um and and, and the point after there was crazy it was legitimately yeah. it was a legitimately crazy move so we had both Ryan Day and Marcus Freeman do You know, do a lot of great coaching, and then legitimately nuts, crazy, insane things at the very end of the game. Right, and that's why we love college football. Right,
0: and to give them credit, it was a nuts game. You know, this wasn't this isn't something that they practice for, like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the coaches don't get that from the players like oh hey what happens if there's only 10 players on the field on the one yard line like it's just wild and crazy uh, but what some might consider even more wild and even more crazy were Ryan Day's comments at the end of the game basically calling out Lou Holtz if you didn't hear Lou Holtz went on the Pat McAfee show show and just basically called Ryan Day and his team soft saying that that Notre Dame was a more physical team, that any team that is more physical, that is tougher than Ohio State, beats them. And Ryan Day took it personally. And Ryan Day, at the end, in the postgame interview and in the press conference, decided to call out Lou Holtz and tell, you know, basically tell him, like, dude, <laughs> stop talking about me because we just beat your team. Uh, John, what, what were your thoughts on the Ryan Day comments?
2: uh I, we kind of discussed this um and, and it's the fact is, is this is an 86 year old man um like you're you're he's he's proud of where he coached he's proud of of the job he did and and his his legacy at Notre Dame and you can't fault the guy for that and you know, to be honest, like there have been points in time, and this is Ohio State soft, so that's like a whole nother it's a different echelon, it's a different category of, of if you want to call it. If for some of us that's very tough, you know, other other teams, you know. But uh but I think like to take a shot at Lou Holtz, I mean, just it was just unnecessary, you know, and Ryan Day, I I expected a little bit better from him, but You know, at the same time, you know, you're you're a huge competitor. You've got a big ego, as all head coaches do. Don't let them tell you any different. Um, And so, you know, you say you say dumb stuff sometimes. And I don't know. I, I don't think it was necessary. Mike, did you see it the same way?
1: I mean, I thought it was hilarious. Lou Holtz sounded like Daffy Duck 15 years ago. I can't even imagine. I didn't hear the interview. I don't know what he sounds like now, but it's got to, I imagine, still be somewhat in that vein. So for Ryan Day to take umbrage to that, to, to Lou Holtz, where Lou Holtz is at this point, I just, it's, I think it's funny that he took it that seriously. And that's what I love college football, because that's peak petty. <laughs> it was definitely petty. I mean, it, it,
0: anything about that was petty, and especially in the press conference. If you listen to any of that, I was talking to my, one of my friends the other uh, just earlier today about this, and I told him. I said, "It's really, really weird they calls out Lou Holtz." I said. But I feel like in this situation, what happened is everybody knew this was going around. Everybody knew this is what was being said, you know, on, on Twitter and uh, different locker rooms. But it just there wasn't like a public face out there saying it, you know, like there wasn't anybody, you know, like on Twitter, like, hey, call me out. I'm the one. There wasn't somebody on a podcast that said it. And so in that moment, it almost felt like Lou Holtz was just like the sacrificial lamb to Ryan day to say, I'm finally going to address these comments. And I finally have a face to put that to. So people understand what I'm getting so pissed off about, you know, now I have to agree. It's an 86 year old man. So it is kind of weird. And, you know, he was never known for his analysis at ESPN. Anyway, he was probably <laughs> at ESPN far longer. I mean, Lou Holtz and Mark May had to be one of the worst ESPN shows that were ever oh, out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: uh, Unwatchable. Yeah.
0: For sure. Um, and, and both of them were incredibly biased in so many different ways, and both of them hated Ohio State. I mean, if you don't know the story of Mark May with Pitt and Ohio State and what Ohio State did to Pitt when there when Mark May was there, I, I I promise you, you are going to love this Wikipedia entry. Go look it up, Mark May, Pitt, Ohio State. Go look it up. You're gonna love that, but. The, the, just the whole situation, it was just kind of like Lou Holtz is a sacrificial lamb for Ryan Day to finally get all of his emotion, all of his anger about losing to Michigan the past two seasons, losing to Georgia, uh, losing to Alabama in the national championship, all of these things that he could finally just like get it all out. Uh, and unfortunately, it was on an 86-year-old man that, Mike, you are correct, probably sounds more and more like Daffy Duck the more he ages. <laughs> So, oh, man. All right. Well, that's enough for about Ohio State Notre Dame. Let's move on to Penn State dominates Iowa. Uh, Penn State wins this game 31-0. to It was the wideout game. Uh, Penn State just thoroughly dominated Iowa. Drew Aller, 25 for 37, only 166 yards. But, man, he was throwing the ball wherever he wanted to. Uh, four touchdown passes. I'm not even going to highlight anyone on Iowa's offense because it's not worth it. Just listen to these offensive numbers for a second. Okay. Four first downs. Four for they have four quarters in football. And they had four first downs. 76 yards. Four turnovers. They had just as many turnovers as they had first downs. 14 and a half minutes of time of possession. That's not that's not and a half. That is the entire game. 14 and a half. And 33 plays. For reference, Penn State ran 33 plays in the first 10 minutes of the game. The first quarter wasn't even over, and Penn State had run 33 plays. Iowa ran 33 plays the entire game. Uh, So, Iowa was thoroughly dominated. Penn State did whatever they wanted to. Mike, what were your thoughts on this game?
1: I mean, like you said, it was a thoroughly dominating performance. Drew Aller threw four touchdown passes, and Penn State's defense forced those four turnovers um, to push you know, Penn State to the big victory. Um, total yards. Iowa had 76 yards. Penn State had 397. And Iowa only had 56 yards passing and 20 yards rushing on an average of 3.5 yards per attempt and 1.2 yards per rush that is insanely bad that is as inefficient and unproductive as an offense can possibly be in contrast Penn State had a pretty balanced offense although it wasn't super prolific it was more of a workmanlike performance uh Drew Aller was 25 of 37 but for just 166 yards but had those four TDs um Tyler Warren caught a couple touchdowns Khalil Dinkins and Keandre Lambert Smith each caught one um For the Nittany Lions, who had the ball for more than 42 minutes of this game. So to speak to you, the time possession, the domination there. Um, Afterwards, Penn State had some interesting comments from James Franklin. He said, we put a priority on athleticism. There's probably a few bigger defenses, but we are athletic and we're quick and we're explosive and we're playing more consistent. Gap sound defense. I'll say they are because that's a dominant performance. Um, Shout out to linebacker Curtis Jacobs, who recovered two fumbles. And. It's hard to know what to say when a team dominates as thoroughly as Iowa, as Penn State did against Iowa. The four first down stats, I can't get over that in an entire game. Now, four first downs is crazy. But here's the thing that I keep coming back to is the Brian Ferentz contract situation. The stipulation that he score 25 points per game. Because coming into today, they were averaging just over 28 points a game. So they were on track. But today they got shut out, or on Saturday they got shut out. So after the shutout, they're only averaging 21 points per game. And so they're going to have to put up more points to make up that deficit, which maybe they can, maybe they can't. But boy, that's a giant distraction. And it makes you wonder who was foolish enough to put that into a, a con- that attention-grabbing fact into a contract, not knowing it would become fodder for people like us to talk about you know, every week.
2: Well, so those are and, some of
1: my thoughts on the game
2: and to like add to that like about you know the the difficulty of of getting to that point or getting to those points you just lost your you lost two your two top running backs and your top tight end i mean y- your offense is and and your quarterback is going to be playing hurt the entire season so, they really uh, miss luke lachey that was the other yeah. thing i want to come
1: to they had no luke lachey was the north star of that offense he was the guy that everything was focused on. He bailed them out of bad situations. Kirk Ferentz always has that one tight end that kind of makes the offense go that everyone has to fear. And Luke Lachey was that guy. And without that guy, Iowa doesn't know what to do offensively. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they they had both their starting running backs out that game too uh who was it caleb johnson and jazz J- patterson jazz patterson that's right i can never pronounce his first name so i'm <laughs> glad we we caught him jazz uh but yeah no both both your starting running backs out luke lachey out your star tight end i mean it was a recipe for a disaster um i was hoping maybe eric all could maybe provide some of that spark that they needed but you know he he's just not Luke Lachey, and uh, that's a uh, that's a bummer for them. So, yep. Conclusion of this game: Brian Ferentz is cooked. Uh, Iowa fans deserve better, and hopefully Iowa can actually field an offense next year. We'll see how it goes. So, all right now the next game, and I know you guys are just love uh, are, are just burning to talk about this. Northwestern comes back for, uh, at home to beat Minnesota. They win 37-34 to 34 in overtime. Darius Taylor from Minnesota. Man, this dude is a beast. If you've not watched Minnesota football yet this year, you need to watch and you need to see this Darius Taylor kid because he is awesome. 31 carries, 198 yards, 6.4 yards per carry, 2 touchdowns. Uh, honestly, it probably would have been enough on most days but ben bryant just decided to go nuclear in the fourth quarter and a little bit to the start of the third because he was 33 for 49 396 yards and four touchdowns uh john we'll hear from you first man uh just from a game perspective from a fan perspective what are your thoughts here
2: uh this one this one hurts a lot um you know it's It it did something did go nuclear and, that you know, and it just was a total meltdown on all fronts um, for us. And and it's not something we haven't seen before necessarily. But at this point in time, I think it stings even more so just being that it's year seven of this program and seeing losses like this just should not happen. There is no excuse. Um, I think this is, you know, predominantly you know if not all uh on the coaching staff um you know and i think including you know joe rossi who is he's incredible he's he's fantastic you know defensive coordinator but something clearly went wrong um obviously i know we can blame uh, the play caller a lot of people want to blame the play caller on the offense um in but it's it's just so much more than that and it's so much bigger than that that i think is just encompassing everything right now and I don't think that this is necessarily like this is the end of the season and and we need to just you know we're not you know Minnesota is not going to win another game at all. No, I think there's a lot of talent on this team. There's still some depth there. This is growing pains in a lot of ways too, um, with a lot of young players. But at the same time, like I said in year seven, it just shouldn't be happening. So it's heartbreaking for a fan to see this, you know. And and the fan base has every right to be upset about this. I'm I am, you know. I'm I've we have seen this being go for lifelong Gopher fans for years happen too many times and uh, and you know just when you think you might have turned a corner things just kind of crumble down and you're and you're just left there wondering what what the hell happened so yeah
0: Mike you have any thoughts on it
1: Yeah I mean you start with like you said Darius Taylor played really well um, Ethan Kelly McManus had a great first half he had a perfect first half actually I think he mm-hmm. was 8 of 8 or 9 of 9 or something at halftime um and for the game he was 14 of 19 153 yards over 8 yards per attempt two t- TDs no picks so so your quarterback who played terrible against North Carolina bounced back and played well played the kind of game that you would expect you know him to play um you know Minnesota dominated the first 3 quarters of the game completely i mean it was 24 to 7 at half and 31 to 10 deep into the second half And then Minnesota was unable to convert their defensive line pressures into sacks and Minnesota had the worst secondary game they've had since at least 2020. And with a veteran experienced secondary that's played well this year, not just in the past, but this year has played well um, to play like that in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was fully an implosion Mm -hmm. and There are a lot of really questionable things that happened in this game. And I think I also think that this is fully a a loss on PJ Fleck. You know, Minnesota punted twice inside the 40 on fourth and three or fewer. Mathematically, you cannot make that decision in 2023. There's no, this isn't, you know, Dave Wanstead in the 90s, like punting at the 36 yard line. You can't, you can't do that anymore. You have to go for it in situations like that. Um, there's a lot of head scratching things Brevin span Ford, who was, you know, an all big 10 level player is a shell of his former self and could have had a TD in overtime that would have pushed it likely to a second overtime. Um, but you know, dropped it. Uh, PJ refused to attack in the passing game. Even when it became clear, the secondary was melting down and that they needed to score more points. PJ still tried to just go into a shell and run the ball. And it's, like, you know, you can do that when your defense is playing lights out. And he's used to he's used to the last couple of years having a top 10 defense and having the defense bail him out in those kind of situations. But, you know, after the Northwestern had the long touchdown drive and then they had the short touchdown drive that went really fast. And at that point, it was up to PJ to be like, hey, we've got to score some points. And at no point did he do that. He was trying to run out the clock. That whole game, he was just trying to run out the clock, trying to run out the clock uh, right up until Northwestern tied the game.
0: Yeah, I think what you mentioned there at the end was kind of the key for me in the second half. You know, like you guys said, you know, Minnesota's offense was doing really well in the first half, but in the second half, only you didn't have a single drive and i know you had the long the one long drive that was a touchdown or uh, not a long drive the the long play that ended up being a touchdown but you didn't have a single drive of over 5 plays in the second half like i i, I think Joe Rossi is a phenomenal defensive coordinator as well, and I think Minnesota does a great job. I think Minnesota has two of the best safeties in all of the nation back there, uh, arguably the best safety duo in the nation. But when you when your offense is just three and out, three and out, three and out, or just one big play for a touchdown, they're going to get tired. And those guys, especially with how Northwestern were throwing the ball all over the field, it wasn't just the guys in the line of scrimmage that was tired. It was that secondary as well. So, you know, I, I'm with you guys. I think at, at, if you're up by 21 and it's punt uh, for, from, you know, a pretty good field position, but, you know, you think, oh, my defense can handle this, I understand that. But when the game's starting to get closer and you feel it and you're close on a fourth down – I feel like you have to go for it there, if nothing else, to try and get it just to give your defense some more time to breathe because those guys were gassed there in the second half. And uh, and I feel for Joe, Joe Rossi and those guys because, uh, like I said, Minnesota does have a phenomenal defense, and most years they do because Joe because of Joe Rossi, the defensive coordinator he
1: is. So, But now uh, we have to question that. For the first right. time in a long time, we have to ask, do they have a phenomenal defense because – Phenomenal defenses don't implode like that over a final quarter. Right. Right.
0: And that's the part that you have to get back to P.J. Fleck with. I I guess you guys just tell me really fast because we got to get on to the next game. But as quick as you possibly can, I know this is a loaded question. Uh, P.J. Fleck, job security.
2: Where is it at?
1: Oh, safe. Really safe. safe. Yeah, okay, it's yeah.
2: safe right now. Yeah. P.J. Okay. Fleck's
1: had a better run than any Gopher coach since the 60s. Okay. I mean, and, 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 you know, in a long, long time. So, yeah, the fan base is frustrated and should be frustrated because the losses like this should not happen in year seven, not to a Northwestern team that's in total disarray. Right. Off the field. But, yeah. Safe. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I figured, but
0: I was like, you know what? You never know what's going on with the fan base. So, uh, very interesting. Let's move on to some more Big West teams. Wisconsin played against Purdue, and they handled them pretty well, uh, or pretty handily, uh, 38-17. to They beat Purdue at Purdue. Braylon Allen, he goes he goes insane. 19 carries, 116 yards, 7.3 yards per carry, two touchdowns that was Purdue's defensive back, and I know I'm going to botch this name, but Sasasi K. Kane, he had nine tackles, two TFLs, one pass deflection, three QB pressures for Purdue. Uh, Wisconsin moves on to three and one. Purdue is now one and three and oh and three at home. Uh, Man, guys, this was a heartbreaker for Purdue fans. I know some of the ones I saw on Twitter were just having a really hard time with this. Mike, what were your thoughts?
1: Um, Well, I think, first of all, Wisconsin total yards 388, Purdue 396. So, yeah, both teams were very balanced between run and pass, so I can see why Purdue fans were so upset because they did actually outgain Wisconsin, and it's always frustrating to be about even there and still lose. But Wisconsin had one turnover, while Purdue turned it over three times. And Wisconsin was able to rebound from that emotional jolt of losing Ches Malusi to injury to put this game away and um, Braylon Allen had the 116 yards and two scores. Tanner Mordecai ran 14 times for 58 yards and he scored on runs on the Badgers first two possessions. So they had that going. Mordecai played the best game. I think he's played so far this year. Um, I think it's also funny that, Mordecai caught two passes, the first and 19 yard to set up his second score, and the second on a two point conversion to help seal the game. So that's right, everybody. The Badgers successfully completed two QB throwbacks in the same game. And Ryan Walters, who's a defensive coordinator himself, has got to be apoplectic that they got burned twice on that gimmick play. Um, Ryan Walters said there's a lot of different things that contributed to this loss. So it's frustrating. Said we're not playing complimentary football right now. So my thought is that. Purdue moved the ball well. They just got killed with turnovers. And in the first half, um, they killed themselves with offensive penalties, which prevented them from scoring despite moving the ball so well. Um, Braylon Allen looked the best he's looked all year. He's dynamic and powerful. I thought he looked like he been playing hurt. He did not look hurt. He looked great. Um, I thought Purdue looked slow defensively. Like at times, their linebackers look like they're running in sand out there. And I do think that team speed could be an issue for Purdue this season defensively. Ryan Walters runs an aggressive scheme that requires that you have a bunch of jocks. And I just don't know if they have the personnel to run what he wants to be running. Um, And I think they're going to take some recruiting to get the athletes they want. Uh, I think Tyrone Tracy has to be Purdue starting running back going forward. Mm -hmm. He's too dynamic to be giving Mockaby most of the carries, I think, anymore. Tracy is just, he's just a better threat. and Purdue's just a lot better offensively than they are defensively right now. And that's that's why they keep running into these troubles.
0: Well, Mockaby can't hold on to the ball either. I mean, yeah, that's another big part of it. you know, can you keep putting the ball in a guy's hands if you can't hold on to it? So uh John, what were your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you know everything Mike said. You know, I, we've been talking a lot about um Allen just kind of looking like he's just been lumbering and and laboring to, to just even move, you know, um, over the last couple of games, but he was all there, uh, you know, the other night And, and, and then Purdue, you know, the thing is, is I do think that they could do a lot better, but they, they need to do the Purdue's offensive line. needs needs to do a better job of protecting Hudson card, you know, and, and not having, not forcing him to have to scramble as much as he was in this game. Um, you know, that hopefully would limit, you know, his turnovers as well, but, you know, overall, I, I it, it looked like it was it turned out it started out as a pretty as a looked like Wisconsin Wisconsin was going to run away with this. Um, but then you know Purdue started to get back into it in the third quarter, and you know, but I, I think it was just too little, too late
0: yeah for sure tough one tough one for the bullet and uh we'll see if they can bounce back oh and starting the the season zero and three at home definitely not the way you want to do it so all right moving on to Rutgers at Michigan Rutgers starts out hot they had a big play to start the game and they actually went up seven to nothing and then Michigan decided that they were going to be Michigan and they beat them 31 to seven uh side note I think it's Jim Harbaugh's goal this year to have the same exact score the entire time. The other team score less than 10 and they score 30 or more, but don't get above 40. Uh, that, that just my thoughts, but, uh, Rutgers, their wide receiver, Christian Drummell, he had three receptions, 85 yards, one touchdown. He had the long 69 yard catch, uh, that really broke the, uh, scoring there to put it up seven to nothing. And then Blake Corum, Mr. Consistency, Mr. can has the best vision. I, I I've seen in a long time in a Michigan running back. And that's, that's hard uh, to say, but man, 21 carries 97 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Uh, Michigan is now four and zero. the ranked second uh, Rutgers. They started out three and zero, but they're three and one now uh, just a, a tough game for the for the Scarlet Knights, but Michigan continuing the consistency. John, what were your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, well, uh, the Rutgers game, uh, I, the Wolverines definitely came back and just started to do whatever whatever it was they they wanted to do. Um, and Blake Coram absolutely looked fantastic. Um, the thing that I saw and I want to give a little credit to Rutgers because I do think they're playing so much better than they have in the past. And and this is a different team. And I absolutely, I, st- I predicted them to go six and six at the beginning of the season. Uh, and I still, I'm going to stick to that. I think this team could still cause some issues for uh, some other, of those, e- some other East teams and possibly, uh, you know, a West team or two. And I think that they could, they could pull that off and go bowling for the first time in a long time. But, um but yeah I overall though I mean you know Michigan did what it what they wanted to do jJ McCarthy is just he's too good and we talked about this too in in with him as well as he's such a he's more dangerous with it with his legs than you think he should be and so he's able to you know create something out of nothing and even when you think you're, he's done and he's down he's he'll run for that first he'll run for that first down no problem so i i think. It was just a dominant performance. It looked like there might have been some kind of fight within Rutgers at the beginning, but yeah, that died pretty quick.
0: Yeah, tough one for Rutgers. Mike, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, I thought Rutgers fought really hard. I thought they were the better team in the first half or first quarter specifically. Um, You know, they came out, they got the lead. They played Michigan pretty tough, but I always thought this was going to come down to one thing. Could Rutgers run the ball or not? and Kyle Manunguy was completely shut down to the tune of 27 yards on 11 carries. So, without him able to run the ball that made Rutgers one-dimensional and Gavin Wimsat has improved a lot. I think has shown str- taken strides from last season, but he's not a guy who's going to carry you with his arm. You know, he ended up 11 for 21, 180 yards of the TD and an interception. Um so I just think Rutgers isn't quite there yet. Um I think that You know, Roman Wilson is absolutely electric and he and uh, Colston Loveland were fantastic in the passing game. JJ McCarthy, you know, with his legs, with the way he can escape, extend plays, make throw the ball downfield. He reminds me, we just saw Drake May. So he reminds me a little bit of Drake May. I feel like they're kind of similar players with how they operate, but it was a good win for Michigan Um, But I think, you know, Rutgers is still is definitely still improving. It was good to see Blake Corum have another really solid day. He looks like whatever issues he was having, he's put them behind him behind him. So so yeah, it's a great day for Michigan.
0: It is, it is. And they got to figure out what's going on with Donovan Edwards. Blake Corum, man, he's he's running and going, but uh, Donovan Edwards, he's he's not looked the same he did in the season last year. So, so uh, to me, it looks like the offensive line just doesn't block for him. I know that's not actually the case, but the blocking on his plays just don't look as good as Blake Corum's. But uh, I also think that just goes back to Blake Corum's vision. I am supremely impressed when I see him hit a hole that I'm not even seeing on TV. Uh, I mean, the dude is just electric, and he can make so many runs uh and this is coming from an ohio state fan giving him this prop so you know it's pretty good when that's yeah. Happening. he's like a better version of mike hart let's be real yeah, exactly he's got exactly. that
1: mike hart vision but he's be- he's a better athlete than mike hart ever was yeah.
0: yes i i was just thinking that as, as i was saying it so yep very good let's move on to maryland takes care of michigan state uh this was not exactly a pretty game uh, maryland wins 31 to 9 uh they just to a t- t- Talia Tonga Quarterback from Maryland, he goes 21 of 36, 223 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Noah Kim, Michigan State, he goes 18 for 32, 190 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Caten Hauser actually got into the game. He went like six for 10. Uh, he actually had a pick as well. Uh, things are just not looking great for the Spartans right now. It's it's really kind of tough to watch because you feel for those players uh, and everything that's going on there. Um I, I don't really know what else to say about it other than it's difficult and it's hard. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on it?
1: We'll start with the positive then. Total yards. Maryland at three sixty two, Sparty at three seventy six. So Sparty actually outgained Maryland. So they were moving the ball, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the problem. But they had five turnovers, which told mm-hmm. the tale of the game. Um, Maryland ran the ball a little more officially than Michigan State did, which led to a more balanced attack. And you, like you said, Leah Tugavailo was fantastic again. He's another guy who makes up for deficiencies in his offensive line. You know, when they don't block for him, it doesn't seem to matter because he can extend plays and still throw the ball downfield. And that's just such a weapon for everyone. Um, and, you know, Maryland finally got off to that fast start that saluted them the last few weeks. Um, Mike Locksley said the defense came up big early on with the turnovers. We were able to convert those to scores. Anytime you come up with turnovers like we did today, it helps you on the offensive side of the ball. And that was what happened. Maryland capitalized on the scoreboard off of Michigan state turnovers. That's why this otherwise competitive seeming game ended up totally lopsided in favor of the Terrapins. Um, so thoughts. Well, merit. well, much attention has been on the offense. The Terrapins defense has been impressive. They've allowed only four offensive touchdowns in the first four games, and they forced 11 turnovers, including the five against Michigan state. um, Noah Kim is quicker than you think he is, which is a common theme with Big Ten quarterbacks. So I thought he th- showed some good tools. He just can't be throwing all these. He, but throwing that pick on the first possession got them off the wrong foot and they kept going with that. Um, so, yeah, Sparty's defense been ravaged by injuries. They're missing defensive starters and cornerback Charles Brantley, linebacker Jacoby Winman, and DL Chris Bogle. So they have to get healthy and or they need to find some new playmakers on D if they're going to be able to compete at a higher level and win some games in the Big Ten, I think. Um, I do think the Maryland O-line is better than you think it is. I think their front seven is playing better. So the place that Loxley's teams have always struggled is up front, and it does seem like they're a little better up front this year. I agree with everything you said. John, do you have any more thoughts?
2: Yeah, just a few, um, you know, I do think that I agree uh, that that Maryland's O-line is playing better overall. I do still wonder sometimes, I although it could just be the fact that Talia just loves to throw on the run. Um, but, but I do wonder, because um, we talked about this too, Mike and I, about how it seems to be an issue across the Big Ten right now for most teams, um, that pass pro is more of an issue than the run blocking. And I, and you, cause you, and thankfully there are some teams that, who have these mobile quarterbacks like Talia or Luke Altmaier or whatever that are, they're able to escape the pocket and make something happen. But I think it can be problematic. And so I'd still like to see Maryland maybe, you know, or, and you know, see if Talia could stay in the pocket. Um, I'm sure he can, but uh, I'd like to have him, see him have a little bit more time. But, uh, and as far as Michigan state goes, you know, I don't think it's necessarily like that. Talent is such an issue. I think you know how could it not be psychological? You know, at this point, I think for any player on that team um, to not feel grounded, to not feel secure in what's going on off the you know off the field, um, has to has to be playing a, a big factor into this as well.
0: For sure. And if you guys know anything about the red shirt rules, it'll be interesting to see what happens now with Michigan State because those players can decide to no longer play for the rest of the year and continue to have a red shirt. I'm not saying anybody's doing that. I'm not accusing anybody of doing that. I'm just putting that out there saying that, you know, for some of these guys, they may feel like their season was ripped from them. Uh, and I would not blame them in the slightest if they feel that way uh, for them to say, you know what, just going to rest it for the rest of the year, take my red shirt, transfer somewhere else, see what happens. Uh, and again, not saying anybody's doing that, but if anybody does come out and say they're doing that, I don't think I blame them in the slightest because their head coach or whoever, I, whatever, because there's a bunch of legal stuff going on with it. I don't want to blame anybody, but whatever has happened here has ruined their season for a lot of those guys, and, and it's tough to watch, so... Moving on from there, Indiana, this was the wildest, craziest uh, thing that I saw on my phone. I mean, Northwestern and Minnesota was crazy, Ohio State, uh, I was watching that, so I didn't see that on my phone, but uh, when I looked after the Ohio State game and just saw, you know, overtime with Indiana and Akron, I was like, oh, okay, that's weird, they should not be doing that, and then I looked down later, two overtimes. Well, that definitely shouldn't be happening. Three overtimes, this is not good. Four overtimes, and I thought to myself, Tom Allen needs to be fired after this game. <laughs> okay, you do not go to four overtimes with Akron and keep your job. I don't care if you win or not. Uh, David Jackson, he threw 11 for 26, 190 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Cam Camper, wide receiver for Indiana, he had four receptions, 103 yards, one touchdown. Uh, John, we'll go to you first. Is there anything? I mean, I know IU got the win, but is there any positives or anything that IU fans can take from this one?
2: Uh, I mean it, that's it's tough, you know. A- Akron showed up to play, and uh, irons. I, I don't, I've don't know. Yeah, his irons, name, but yeah, he, DJ irons. He, I mean, yeah, I mean the guy was just impossible to contain. I mean, he was all over the field doing everything. He was doing freaking cartwheels. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, but. But uh, for Indiana fans, I, I mean, I think just from what we've seen so far, they deserve a bit of a mulligan for this game um, because they have performed better um, overall this, so far this season. Um, I this would definitely be concerning, but I think let's see how next week plays out. Um, but yeah, if it continues to trend down like this and and struggles against teams as you know like like Akron, yeah, it, it might be bad. And and yeah, this might spell the end for Tom Allen at some point.
0: And that's the hardest part. They don't have another Akron on their schedule. They are all all conference play from here, and they don't yeah. have a Rutgers because Rutgers is better this year. You know, Michigan State is really their only game on the schedule that I'm like, maybe you know uh, because the rest of the teams they just
1: look too good. Mike, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I do think Indiana has looked uh improved in the earlier games this season. I thought that their defense played well against Ohio State and I thought they played pretty well otherwise. But I mean this was rough for sure. I mean they had hundred and eight or they had two hundred and eighty two yards and Akron had four hundred and seventy four. So Indiana managed to win the game, you know, in four overtimes, but they were outgained which is rough. And Akron missed a 32 yard field goal that would have won the game on the final play of regulation. So I, you know, I'm someone who cheers for Tom Allen. I think that he actually is one of the guys who's a genuine in a business with a lot of guys who aren't very genuine. I think he's a pretty genuine guy who loves his players and he loves the state of Indiana and all that kind of stuff. Um, But they probably need to get to five wins to to save his job and that's you know that's a dicey proposition at this point but I do think Taven Jackson is better than he showed in that game I think he's played better in other games and he's still learning so I would I I wouldn't get too down on him for having a terrible game Um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with them going forward
0: Right. And I want to set the record straight. I, I'm not trying to be down on IU because I dislike IU. I actually really like IU. They're one of the teams in the Big Ten that I root for the most. Uh, and I really, really like Taven Jackson. I think he's a good talent and yeah. I think that he has a lot of positive mm-hmm. things to come in his game. Uh, but I just, I look at this team and I think they have playmakers on offense. I was literally just telling a Michigan State fan on Twitter the other day, I was like, hey, don't, don't, put IU down at the be- at the depths of the bottom of the Big Ten with Northwestern. You know, they are better than that. They have playmakers on offense. Taven Jackson is no joke. Jalen Lucas is electric. Cam Camper is a good wide receiver. I mean, he, he could start on most Big Ten teams. He's a good wide receiver. And I really think that IU just, for whatever reason, just came out flat in this game. You know, I mean, I know they got the lead early and stuff, but uh, just for, throughout the game, they were flat. They had a hard time, and I don't know where else to blame that other than coaching. So I love Tom Allen. I think he's genuine as well. Uh, And I've said it on here before. I'll say it again. Tom Allen is going to make a very, very good defensive coordinator for somebody someday. Uh, Unfortunately, he's not head coach material. I don't see it. I don't think it's there, but he is going to be a very, very good defensive coordinator for somebody possibly in the big 10. And we'll see if it makes it somewhere else from there. So I, you it's tough. I'm hurting with you, but uh, hopefully the season goes better as it, as it moves on. So Two more games left. We have Florida Atlantic at Illinois. Uh, Illinois wins this one 23-17. Illinois actually went down early, 10 points to Florida Atlantic. But Luke Altmeyer led the team uh, 25 for 36, 303 yards, a touchdown. And Keith Randolph Jr., the defensive tackle who plays with Johnny Newton there, he had a really good game. Seven tackles, one sack, two and a half TFLs. Uh, this was This was an interesting game. Illinois gets the win. Probably wasn't actually as close as maybe the score indicates. I feel like Illinois had that game for most of it. Uh, Mike, what were your thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, I think the total yards bear that out. Illinois had 510 to FAU's 353. Um, Both teams threw the ball effectively, but Illinois also ran the ball effectively for 207 yards and five yards per rush, whereas FAU was held under 100 yards rushing on 24 attempts. Um, FAU had the one turnover. Illinois had two fumbles lost. Altmeyer played a lot better. Like you said, through a touchdown pass ran for another Isaiah Williams. We've been call it. We've been calling for him to get more touches. He caught eight passes for 120 yards. Um, so that was really good. Altmeyer had you 300 yards, to over 300 yards passing and no picks. And I thought it was interesting that Brett Bielema said that he gave him a call and assured him that he was his guy because he had been, you know, benched after not playing very well the week before. Um, wanted to let him know that you know that that's that he was going to be the guy they were going to be successful and boy were they ever so Luke Altmaier bounces back from that shaky four interception performance last week in which he got benched to have that huge game so i think that vote of confidence from Bielema helped a lot um, after falling behind 10 nothing the Illini rallied to take that 14-0 lead at halftime before pulling away in the third quarter so it was key for them Illinois to make to close that out at half and to get that lead and then Illinois once again pulled out a trick play as they scored on a 46-yard reverse flea flicker. So it was a Big Ten Saturday defined by trick plays at key moments of key games, and that was that was one of them for sure. Um, I thought it was impressive that Illinois held them under 100 yards rushing. That's great to see that that Illinois defense is kind of back on track a little bit. And well, they clearly the better team, they couldn't put it away. This game shouldn't have been as close as it was. So, yeah it's it's illinois one they played pretty well they did some good things but this shouldn't have been as stressful as it ended up being i agree john you have any thoughts on this one
2: yeah it it shouldn't have been as close as it is um again i'm looking at to at Illinois' offensive line um i think Altmeyer, if he had a little bit more time in the pocket he could have maybe developed a, a few more plays and and maybe scored a couple more uh, a couple more touchdowns but Um, I was happy to see that they were able to finally get the running game going. um, And because that's been lacking um, this entire season so far. And defensively, you know, the secondary, it kind of and their D line, it seemed like it started a little slow, but they eventually got there. And and as we know, and uh, they looked, they looked pretty solid by the end of the game.
0: Yep. It was a weird game for Illinois, but I think by the end of it, you looked at it and you said, this is the better team. Just a rough bump there at the beginning. So, all right. Our final game, Louisiana tech at Nebraska, 28 to 14, Heinrich Harbor got the start in this one at quarterback. Now, passing the ball he wasn't exceptional eight for 17 107 yards one touchdown pass uh, but running the ball 19 carries 157 yards one touchdown and not just him running the ball but Anthony Grant as well who was a starter last year but now he's like second or third string there but because of some injuries he's now starting 22 carries 135 yards and one touchdown I mean this was just kind of a roller coaster here for Nebraska with with you know new quarterback starting not great passing but he's a much better runner runner so you have that going forward John what were your thoughts in this game
2: well first I just gotta say with Harburg as the starting quarterback he had zero turnovers and that is something you gotta stick with you know if <laughs> I if it I, if it if I were rule at this point in time going away from from Harburg would just be with the biggest mistake you're going to make, because you can see the, you can not only see how passionate this kid is in, in the game and, and how hard he plays and runs and how much fun he's having out there, but you can see it affects the entire team. Everyone else is having such a better time. No one is, is a, you know, I feel like it's just running more fluidly. Um, you know, no, the pass the passing game isn't prolific, but, but seeing that old school Nebraska run game, that option game coming back into play looks great. Obviously, the fans absolutely love it, um, and their defense is continuing to do great. Uh, overall, they they shut down the run game, um, and they were able to you know do pretty well against the pass. So i I think overall Nebraska is just looking better now than they than they have. They're continuing to improve, and I think under Harvard, they're just going to keep getting better. I agree. Mike, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, I agree. I don't know how how sustainable it is to run your QB that much, but it sure worked yesterday. And Harburg was, you know, he wasn't great in the passing game, and he wasn't terrible. 8 of 17, 170 yards, and a, 107 yards and a TD. Um, I thought it was impressive. The Huskers have now held four straight opponents under 60 rushing yards for the first time since 1999. So a third of the way through the season and no one's come close to sniffing a hundred yards rushing on them, which is pretty impressive. Um, so for Nebraska, it's clear the quarterbacks run will have to be a part of the offense. So you say, you know, John, you were saying, Oh, you got to stick with Harburg because you go away from Sims. I think they're going to need both of them. I think if they're going to keep running the quarterback that much, they're going to need both quarterbacks and it's going to be good that they have both of them. Um, so yeah. This was a good kind of last gas. I think Nebraska goes back into conference play after this, or or do they? I'm not sure whether the next game. At. Yeah, I
0: think they do because they played Colorado out of conference, and they oh, just yeah. had
1: their two easier.
0: So I have their schedule right so here. This was a good get. Oh right yeah, it's right Michigan. Game. That's right. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this no. is a good
1: get right game. That should go well. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I looked up the last time Nebraska beat Michigan, it was 2013, and uh, Tommy Armstrong, Armstrong Jr. and all that, and I posted on Twitter, I said, you know, do they even stand a chance of making it happen again? And, uh, you know, the consensus answer was no. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. But You know, hey, it's college football. We've seen stranger things. Uh, Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Harburg is that the dude is a tank. I mean, he literally is the size of a tight end. So, you know, it's one of those things where if they just want to keep running the dude, keep running him because even if he does get hurt, I'm not saying that you just carelessly run somebody until they get hurt. But even if he does, you still got Jeff Sims behind him who is a, a, an exceptional athlete himself, uh, where you can just run him as much. I never understood why they were throwing Jeff Sims so much and they bring Harburg in there and Harburg is running more than Jeff Sims was, you know, I, to me, it's the offensive coordinator. I think Jeff Sims is actually a really good talent. I think Harburg is a, is a good, talent, but I think that offensive coordinator is having a bit of an identity issue right now. as a Scott Side field i think it is yeah um it, he's not impressing me and it doesn't know like that he knows what to do with jeff sims when he's out there uh so we'll see if they can have any magic against michigan but um that my bet is going to be probably not so any more thoughts
2: on the entire week guys i just hope uh I hope my gobers do better. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to cry again. Um. <laughs> it, w- it was a frustrating week for
1: most of the fan bases in the Big Ten. I think yeah. there are a small handful of fan bases that feel really good. And a lot of fan bases who either after losses or closer than they should be victories are thinking, oh, man, we got to fix some stuff. So I, wanna,
0: I think even the fan bases who are at the top. Uh, echelon, you know the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I feel like all of those fan bases, speaking as one who does watch, you know Ohio State that way. All of them are watching just with anticipation for the end of the season. It's like, oh my gosh, the quarterback threw an incompletion. Is that going to happen against Michigan? Is that going to happen against Penn State later on? You know, the 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 f- stress and the frustration of later on is almost as bad as what's going on now, um, and and it's wild for them. And you see that as well with some of the other teams. So yeah. Big Ten is just wild
1: right now. so it's Which not. drives me crazy because I just think like we have so few of these Saturdays. Don't wish them away and focus on the future. Like live in the moment. Embrace it. Exactly, exactly. I, I have more fun when I watch other teams that I don't have a vested
0: interest for sometimes than when I'm watching Ohio State because I just, uh it's, it's the fan in all of us, I guess. So All right, well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, guys, I appreciate you being here, and thank you for listening. Do remember that we are brought to you by Big Banter Sports, bigbantersports.com. Check us out there. Check us out on social media as well. Our next episode will be on Wednesday. We will break down the Michigan and Nebraska game, talk about what can we expect from nebraska what do they have to do in order to win and if michigan has any thoughts or any concerns about that team as well thanks so much for listening guys and thank you to the we live for saturday's podcast for coming on here have a great day